Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Overcast, a better podcast app than whatever you're using right now, unless you're using Overcast. Get Overcast for free on the App Store. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your stories to me has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there. No questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not, not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story and their story is your story and then it's our story and then it's a podcast so it's everybody's story and then you've shared it and gosh that's great huh and even if you don't think you're a nerd you probably are it's easily the most midwestern thing i've ever been a part of hey everybody Eric Arnault here, and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast with the last installment of our greatest hits of Andrew Bentley. Now, you may remember, we've been releasing these archival episodes featuring Andrew for the last three weeks to get ready for his farewell show, which is happening at the Cards Against Humanity Theater this Sunday. We're very sad to be sending Andrew off, but very happy to be doing this final show with him, which includes a stellar lineup of storytellers and performers. You can get information on the show at nerdalogs.com, It also includes a set from his fantastic two-person sketch comedy group, Rabbit Rabbit. All in all, this should be a great way to send off one of the favorite voices of this show. Seriously so good, as you're about to hear. Uh, Because with that in mind, today we're representing what I think may be the most popular Bentley story of all time, the tale of Andrew infiltrating the 2014 Chicago meeting of the Republican National Committee. This is a tremendous story that captures so many of the things Andrew does amazingly, uh, his way with words, his political insight, his ability to elevate every situation to epic levels. Uh, This is an all-time classic from our October 2014 show, and around it you'll also get memorable pieces from folks like Aaron Amendola and Elliot Serrano, so just good stuff all around. Now before we jump into the show, let me say that we also got booked to a live performance at the Wicker Park Festival this upcoming Saturday, 10.30pm at the Den Theatre on Milwaukee Avenue. So if you're hanging out in Wicker Park next Saturday night, you can come jump in on that too. Uh, We'll have some show favorites rocking the mic for that one, should be a great time. Next week this podcast will be back with probably the first part of Andrew's Farewell, but uh, maybe the Wicker Park thing either way, hot new content coming your way soon. So let's get ready to send Andrew off with one more look back. Oh 
Space Happens, yeah. Mr. Nathan Thompson. Yeah. Alright, sorry, uh, quick host note, he has asked us to refer to him as the Token Testicles, so please only call him that. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so, to start off with, um, sorry your princess is another castle. Which one?! There's eight! You could have told me and saved it. That has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm going to say. It's just something popped in my head. Okay. <clears throat> so. Um, Comedy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I made a very close friend of mine angry the other day. And if you knew him, you'd realize how incredibly difficult that is to do. I've seen him frustrated before. I've seen him truly angry maybe twice in all the time I've known him, and one of those times was directed right at me. Um, so, some context. Uh, growing up, I was incredibly shy, something that I'm absolutely sure absolutely no one in the nerd community has any relation to whatsoever. 
Uh, I was picked on, bullied, scorned, derided, and mocked for things like, for example, my thesaurus-like vocabulary. Uh, I didn't have cable growing up. I had PBS. Uh, yeah. So when people talked about MTV or Ren and Stimpy, I tactfully ran the other way. Uh, I talked about, are you being served? I talked about, long ago and far away. I talked about fairy tale theater. And I learned very quickly that the best way to make myself different was to be myself. So for the better part of a decade and a half, my lips were sealed about the things that I loved. Several times now, I have been privy to a viewing of an amazing speech given by Will Wheaton about the virtues of being a geek. Uh, I've read the webcomic fans, I've seen the documentary Trekkies, I've heard time and time again the simple refrain that underscores the entire nerd community. The cliche that, that labels us is labeled me since I first saw Peter Davison stick a celery stick to his lapel. We are so excited to share what we love with others. And that was what got my friend so angry at me. Because I tried to tell him a joke that I loved. It was a brilliant joke. And it was from a Sherlock episode he hadn't seen yet. That's his problem. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair enough. Some more context. Um, My parents have seen Game of Thrones. I still haven't. Everyone says it's good. No one will tell me why. (laughs) No one will talk to me about Game of Thrones. Spoilers. They don't want to ruin it for me. So they stop the conversation. I ask questions about the people, the places, the events. Their lips are sealed. Somehow, and I do not know how, the one thing that as far as I was aware, that made us nerds, geeks, dorks, our passionate willingness to talk for hours to anyone about everything that we love has been hamstrung. And you know what? I know what happens at the Red Wedding. I looked it up online. (laughs) If that book, if that scene is now ruined for me, I'm sorry, it's not a good scene. There I said it. I didn't like The Sixth Sense. Why? Because I knew two things about that movie going into it. It had ghosts in it, And there was an amazing twist at the end, oh my god. And when I figured it out in the first five minutes, or maybe ten, I forget, uh, the rest of the movie was a fairly standard paranormal thriller. Nothing special. That movie was great because of the twist. The movie was the twist. It's the movie that I think the word spoiler actually applies to. And thanks in part to that movie's success, we have entered a point in time where having a plot twist is now cliché. I found myself watching movies and TV shows thinking, so is the twist going to be that there isn't a twist? That it's actually what it looks like? (laughs) So I wondered, maybe we should refocus. Maybe we should stop caring about spoilers. I feel like they divide us into those that know and those who do not know. They give us stories that aren't mysteries, they're surprises. And while I understand the value of experiencing something in the moment, and Luke, I am your father, oh my god. <laughs> oh, no, I just lost my place. <laughs> Perhaps we're, we're losing too much in treasuring these things above all else, uh, the fetishizing of them. Perhaps we should be able to share the stories we experience and enjoy without fear of ruining anything for other people. Maybe we should care less about what happens next and more about how it happens. 
and I was going to put my money where my mouth is to end this. I wrote a novella uh, about a year ago, uh, The Watch in the Sand, uh, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, smash words, fine bookstores everywhere. Uh, and there's a, there's a surprise and a, a mystery gets solved. But when my friend got angry, I asked him why. Why did he care about spoilers? And he said he didn't like spoilers because that's not how the author wants me to hear the story. They're telling the story. Don't steal it from them. Let them tell it the way they want to. He was right. I suppose cliche number two is how certain we all are about the proper way to be a fan. I don't understand spoilers. It's just not in me, I guess. And I've always respected other people's choices, but sometimes it's hard for me. It was the better part of 18 years before I found another person who'd even heard of Doctor Who. And this was before Eggleston's strong nose graced American shores. <laughs> I was 21 before I found somebody who'd ever read the Dragonlance books. I was 16 before I found somebody who played D&D, only one though. So we couldn't play until I was even older and we managed to find two others. <laughs> <laughs> I finally met someone last year who'd heard of Are You Being Served? He's from England. <laughs> I have yet to meet anybody else who has ever heard of Long Ago and Far Away. Anyone? I don't like things that divide us. But I've come full circle. So, out of my respect for Guyman, Miller, Abrams, Barton, all the others, and not least of which, in any way, shape, or form, all my friends who care about spoilers, my lips are sealed again. Nathan? Uh, I remember being like 10 or so, uh, and my best friend had just kind of see The Sixth Sense because her mom let her see PG-13 movies. And... Uh, her, I remember her saying it in the in the car. We were sitting in the in the back seat of seat of a car, and she looked at me. She was like, "And the ending it? Oh, do you want me to ruin it for you?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm probably never going to see it. It's already been out in theaters for like a month." And she was like, "Oh," and she like told me the ending. And I was like, "Interesting," and I'd never seen it, and so it worked out great for me. <laughs> I got the same effect as having seen the entire movie. I feel like anyway. Uh, next up is another friend of ours. Uh, he runs a whole bunch of stuff, and you should be friends with him, too. Aaron Amendola! Okay, come on, Aaron! <laughs> That's the most positive thing anyone's ever said to me. Thank you. Um... Uh, so, so I, I tend to take the prompt pretty seriously, um, and the prompt is, uh, your lips are sealed. And this is a story that I've told people kind of in private and in trust, but I've never told it en masse. Uh, and it just occurs to me now, the last two stories I've told here involve somebody threatening my life. I don't think I'm that special. <laughs> uh, so if I do something and you want to kill me, just talk to me. Um, What's the fun in that? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so after after this, we'll go out in the alley. Uh, I'm scrappy. Um, okay, so let's go back to high school. Um, I was 17. I was more handsome than I am now. 
Um, for the people listening at home, yes, I am that handsome. Uh, they're not going to know. Uh, and so I, I went out with this girl for a long time, uh, about two years, and I was a senior, she was a junior. When it came time to graduate, we had the discussion of, oh, I'm going to school about 30 minutes outside town, we can still go out. And she was just like nodding her head like, yeah, yeah, that's a thing that we can do. Um, uh, at the graduation ceremony, I said, we're going over to my friend Marley's house. Uh, we're going to watch movies, play games, and we're basically going to celebrate being seniors. This is our last night. And she's like, okay, but you have your cell phone with you. I will be checking up on you. And I'm like, all right, you're crazy. And like, I was in high school, so like, ah, she's being cute. Um, that's a red flag. Uh, for anyone who wants to know. Um, so uh, it was back when cell phones were like bricks. And yeah. at the end of the... Yeah, clap for that? Somewhere there's an Okia rep really happy. Uh, <laughs> still gonna make that sale. Um <laughs> But so, uh, so I, I ended up getting a call from her. She's like, are you hanging out with these people? Are you doing things? I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're having like wine coolers and Marley's parents are here. You know, we're having a good time. She's like, okay, you wouldn't cheat on me, right? And I go, whoa, no, of course not. Bye. <laughs> I promise it was more... It was better than that. Um, uh, and, and rather than just say say this girl, somebody just shout out, shout out a girl's name. Megan. Megan. Uh, so so Megan, Megan was, I guess, scared. Uh, throughout the course of the night, I was getting calls, and I was like, I really don't want to deal with this right now. I want to celebrate being a senior uh, and graduating, and so I turned my phone off. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We did it. Um, <laughs> And so, <laughs> so the next day, uh, <laughs> the next day, I, I had uh, saved up money all through high school, and I bought myself this 1999 Volkswagen Jetta. I named it Natalia Samanova after the Bond girl from the movie Goldeneye. You have to explain. We got it. I know. Um, to this day, a great movie, kind of. <laughs> uh, and so and so, I call and I go, I think we should really talk about this. I want to come over and, and talk about what your concerns were. So she's like, yes, please come over. And I go over to her house, and there for the next... <laughs> I know that now. Um, so I go over, and I like say hi to her mom. Hi. Hi, Miss Megan. Hi to her dad. Hi. Hi to her sisters. Uh, oh, Megan's out back. She's expecting you. And I'm like, oh, her parents have no clue what's about to happen. Neither do Neither do I. Um, so I go out there, and what begins to happen is three hours of just beratement and accusation and just unbridled fear, I guess, of me going to college and her not being able to contain that. Uh, but she, she just says, I know you're cheating on me. I won't have that. We're done. So I leave, and I'm emotionally just in tatters. I, I, I haven't experienced anything like this before. Um, the only thing that comes to mind is Return of the King. <laughs> uh, it's pretty damn sad. Um, but I, I'm, I'm walking back to my car, and I put the key in, and I notice on the window I see a figure just running at me. 
And I'm like, this is it. This is where she jumps into my arms and I, I'm like, oh, all right, we're cool. We, we, can, we can still be together. Um, and so I put the key in. I remember like, I'm going to keep that key there. And I turn around like this and she jump kicks me in the sternum. <laughs> she was a dancer. Um, and like the force propelled me into the car up against the key and like I I, I have like a little weird thing on my back from it Um, but I was like we're not getting back together Uh, and so I go home and I just go to sleep Uh, I'm I'm emotionally scarred my parents like are you okay and I'm like yeah wild night I have to go to bed I come back down at 7pm my parents say Megan's here she wants to talk to you and I'm like alright I don't know if I'm ready for this my parents obviously don't know um, and I come out onto the uh, grass that I paved the day before, and it's like a perfect summer night. Cliche. Um, and I notice there's a car there, and I'm like, Megan doesn't drive. That's weird. And in the car, I see three other bodies who, to this day, I have no idea who they are. Um, but Megan proceeds to come up to me and say, just so you know, I know you're cheating on me. It takes one to know one. I've cheated on you three times in our relationship. And she proceeds to... Strike me, punch me, hit me, uh, and all I can do is just, you know, cover myself. And I, I assume, like, there's three toughs in the car. Because <laughs> I require three guys. Um, <laughs> for everyone listening at home, I'm gigantic. Um, and so the worst part about this is my mom, my dad, my sister, my brother, who, who drove in from, from Baltimore, Maryland, are all watching this happen. And I, I'm, I'm powerless. I, I can't do anything about it. So I go inside, and my parents are like, what happened? And I go, oh, we broke up. And, and they were like, do you want cake? And I'm like, I'm going to go to bed. Um, fast forward four months. Uh, I'm now going to Penn State. Everything's great. And I've only ever had two nicknames in my life. And it's weird because one of my nicknames is my name, Aaron J., because there were three Aarons, and we had to differentiate Aarons in other ways. So I became Aaron J., uh, I've only ever had one other nickname. This is how I got it. Um, October of that year, I'm getting dressed uh, to go out to a Halloween function, and I get a phone call, and I'm like, I know this number, but there's no name attached to it. Who the hell is this? <clears throat> Pick it up. Hello? It's Megan. And she's sobbing, and she's saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't take it back. I can't take it back. And I, I'm, I'm thinking, finally, closure. Um... And I start saying, like, it's okay, I forgive you. You know, I, I, I do not want to talk to you, but thank you so much for apologizing. Um, and she goes, no, no, I, I can't stop him. And I'm like, what What the hell is going on? Talk to me. Um, <laughs> and what is probably the best cliche, she worked at an Italian restaurant. Imagine that. Uh, and she hired this guy... What? Uh, she she gave him a hundred dollars, which I thought it would be worth more than that, uh, but gave him my class schedule, uh, the make and model of my car, my license plate number. Yeah, that's why I have trust issues. Um, and and she just said I gave him money. I I don't I, I can't get a hold of him. I don't know what to do. Um, and and I I just like very calmly said I'm going to hang up. I'm going to call the police. We're going to get this sorted out. Um, so I. I <laughs> I hang up the phone. I call campus police first because (laughs) it's an open campus. Uh, 
and I, I go, uh, my ex-girlfriend sent someone to kill me, and they were probably like, again? Uh, another one. Um, but the, the authorities got involved, and, and um, everything had been taken care of. But nevertheless, they, they couldn't get in contact with this guy for about, I think it was two months. So, what? like, he, he was a ghost. <laughs> Italians. Um, uh, yep. Yeah. So, so there I am, like, one, like I'm a lone theater major on an engineering campus. Like, already thinking about transferring, and um, uh, I, I, I was carrying a bat around with me in my messenger bag, with me at all times because I figure like got him <laughs> like if he surprises me all I gotta do is show this and he'll run um, but my classmates uh, my then improv team my my uh, my directors everyone was like oh yeah the bat kid <laughs> which like sounds like a bitchin name <laughs> but not when your life is being threatened um, and, and, and it's just kind of a story that I've I've Told us like an icebreaker. They'd be like, "What? What do you do?" I'm like, "Oh, my name's Aaron. Uh, two of my ex-girlfriends have tried to kill me before. Uh, what do you do?" And they're like, "What? Oh." Um, but I'm happy to tell that story and get it out in the open because I never want to tell it again. So thank you. hug each other. <laughs> Gentle. Man. Uh, so next up, we have another uh, member emeritus of the Nerdalogs, very good friend of mine, Andrew Bentley! Uh, hi, I'm Andrew Bentley. In a Venn diagram wherein one side is labeled hate-fucking and the other side star-fucking, my trip to the summer meeting of the RNC in Chicago this year was right in the fucking middle. In the grand political tradition, I was only able to attend through nepotism, uh, as my great-aunt has been a member of the committee since the halcyon days of Reagan's morning in America. Well, America is much darker now, which is, of course, why we need voter ID laws. Delay on that one. <laughs> American skies are darker now. Uh, but my aunt still serves as the chairwoman of Republicans for Choice, with all the doomed nobility of a helmsman on the Titanic, pulling at a smashed rudder, politely confirming the captain's course as icy water floods the lower decks and drowns all the Irish. <laughs> the invitation uh, is given in a spirit of well-meaning but misguided evangelism, and I'm only too eager to attend. 
For a few days, at least, it seems, I will get to be Matthew Tybee or Hunter S. Thompson, the, the spitting cobras of political journalism, soaking in the calliope music of the most demented circus this side of a Rob Zombie video. <laughs> I announce my plans with glee on Facebook, unperturbed uh, that no one seems to particularly care outside of one old friend who tells me to ask RNC chair Reince Priebus what his name is an anagram for. <laughs> The night before, my eye is already twitching in anticipatory rage at the Caligulan pageantry that will no doubt be forthcoming. I forsake my regular coffee as I set out that morning, fueled only by the promise of schadenfreude and apoplexy as I step into the Weston Hotel lobby and make my way up to the second floor. The friendly young women at the conference room door check my pass, and in I go, feeling very much like Lee Marvin in the Dirty Dozen. I find my aunt's table and join her there, tucked away at the back of the room, presumably to give security time to intercept her in the event she rushes the stage and attempts to abort one of the speakers. <laughs> Ironically, the speaker has already aborted of their own accord. Uh, Dick Cheney's plane has been delayed, and he will not be arriving in time for these opening ceremonies. But as there must always be a Stark in Winterfell... We are assured, first, that Lynn Cheney will be speaking in his place, then, correction, Liz Cheney, a lineup change which is met with much the same reaction as if they'd announced that at tonight's show, Pantera would be replaced by Oingo Boingo. <laughs> as the announcement is made, a, a wave of eye-rolling washes through the crowd of such severity that I grip the tablecloth, terrified that the entire hotel might lurch suddenly to the side. <laughs> I'm somewhat mystified at the reaction, and for the first time, I really look at my fellow attendees. It's hard to say exactly what I'm expecting, short of a detail from Hieronymus Bosch. Some of it is accurate, no prolapsing bird kings or ass-trumpeting demons, but there are the pallid old men and Botoxed old women, the, the weasley-looking young Republicans and their homogenous appendage of pretty blonde wife. But in equal proportion are friendly nebishes and kindly wheelchair-bound grandmothers. Uh, young black women in smart pantsuits and a pair of gentlemen in pinstriped seersucker and straw butter hats, who I immediately assume, and correctly I will learn, are the representatives from Georgia. <laughs> at, my, at my very table sit two tanned and healthy-looking visitors from South Dakota, commiserating with genuine rue that chickens were all raised in a box these days and that liberals won't let you smoke in bars anymore. By the time failed senatorial carpetbagger Liz Cheney has taken the stage, I am already glumly consigned to the reality that I will be forced to judge my fellow conference-goers as individual human beings, rather than as a single monstrous organ. Still, here is such a human being for me to judge. Her speech is a litany of all the most contemptible sound bites I have forecast, dismissing the very idea of a war on women exhortations that we must continue to block Obama's policy and that that is patriotism, not obstructionism, indignant moaning over the great lies of Benghazi, and then down the rabbit hole. Our freedom is under assault from Washington in a way unknown in my lifetime. Follows fast on her heels of a tone-deaf anecdote about her daughter who couldn't have a horse as a child. The moral of this parable is unclear, but now, she assures us, she has two horses. <laughs> Instinctively... Instinctively, I touched the cut on my cheek where I shaved that morning with a dull razor because I couldn't afford new ones yet. But then we're on to foreign policy, and foreign it is to all reason and moderation. We, 
We've never tortured anybody, she claims, explaining how our own operatives are required to undergo waterboarding before they inflict it on anyone else and somehow invoking 9-11 all in the same breath. She describes Obama's anti-terrorism efforts, including trials and Miranda rights, and it takes me a good minute to realize I'm supposed to see these as negatives. (laughs) We must reverse Obama's devastating defense cuts. John Kerry meeting with the Turks is an insult to Israel. Under Obama, she pleads, we don't even have interrogations anymore. When she leaves the stage, she's trailed by modest applause and the lingering stench of the abattoir. And for a moment, I return to my initial expectations of horrific extremism. But this has just been a freak storm. The rest of the day passes in relative monotony. There are presentations, of course, plenty of statistics on outreach and fundraising. And as a political junkie, I'm interested, but I know it's nothing to stir the blood. Many of the RNC members seem to agree. As I sit in the back of a third conference hall during a presentation on their efforts to duplicate the Obama fundraising machine, idly gnawing on a complimentary pretzel stick, I glance forward to see a representative from Maryland playing Ebony on his computer. I feel a brief moment of envy and consider why I'm spending a beautiful Saturday inside like this. Because I care, I tell myself, because this is important. At a panel for up-and-coming Republican stars, a black man, an Asian-American, and a woman, uh, questions include, what does EPA overreach mean for the war on coal? And where has the Obama foreign policy gone wrong? If they were begging the question any harder, Rudy Giuliani would have them deported to Jersey. But all I can muster is a wry chuckle. That evening at the Field Museum, I drink my free mid-shelf whiskey and watch Mike Pence and Mark Kirk and other Midwest Republicans give their speeches, and honestly, they sound like pretty nice guys. And when at dinner, Dick Cheney himself arrives, the angel of death in a cowboy hat and Garamond eyeglasses. (laughs) My aunt takes a picture as I watch him extol in between hacking coughs every philosophical stance I abhor. She sends me the shot in an email. Just wanted proof you and Dick Cheney were in the same room, the caption reads. I look at my steak knife, ponder the distance to the stage, and how easy it really is to throw your life away. And then I simply eat my meatloaf. It's delicious. My trip home that night is somber. I discuss with my aunt my own misgivings about the AHCA and disappointment with Obama, She nods an understanding when I explain that doesn't mean I agree with her party. After all, oftentimes she doesn't either, but she shows up anyway to continue her slow assault on the glass ceiling and to try and protect some of the more moderate members from Tea Party primaries. She admits that she's getting tired of it after all these years. And as I slip wearily out of my tie and suspenders, I admit to myself finally that that's the true cost of political change. Boredom. When the Cheneys and Perrys and Bachmans of the world step down off their stages, my grand circus isn't really any different than a long afternoon meeting at any white-collar job I've ever had, except the stats and charts and buzzwords are tied up in billions of dollars and the future of our country. My head hurts, and I have to get up tomorrow morning to go back. We take regional brunch with the New Englanders, even though as a Virginia resident my aunt should meet with the Southern Coalition, but she knows that's a non-starter. Here she has friends. They're nice people, and as they lay out their plans for fundraising, even in lost-cause states like Delaware and Vermont, I find myself rooting for them. A gentleman from New York, an old friend of my aunt's, gives me his card when he finds out I'm a comedian. Give me a call, he says. We could use more charismatic young people in the party. I I touch the cut on my cheek again, and I pocket the card. 
As I take yet another trip to the bathroom to purge some of the free coffee I've been swilling, I feel defeated and vaguely foolish. It's another beautiful day out, but I won't see much of it. Wanting a moment alone with my thoughts, I take a stroll to the bathroom at the far end of the floor, and there, at the urinal next to me, is the man himself, Rance Priebus. He nods curtly at me. How you doing? He asks. Pretty well. Yourself? Not bad. A pause. Hey, I promised a friend I'd asked, uh, what exactly is your name an anagram for? <laughs> There's a moment of silence as he finishes washing his hands, and he gives a forced chuckle. You have a great day now, okay? <laughs> and he's gone. The next time I see him, he'll be up on stage calling to order the voting meeting for this year's RNC. But if I look closely, I think he seems a little pissed off. <laughs> a little frazzled. I smile, grab some more coffee, and settle in to watch the show. It's a beautiful summer day in Chicago, and this cobra can still spit. Right? <laughs> when Andrew texted me that he did that, but I do remember I made everyone stop what they were doing <laughs> and listen to me read that text message. <laughs> it was a great moment. <laughs> uh, next up, we have our final member of the night from Space Happens, Nicole Keating! <laughs> sit too because I'm wearing tall shoes. <laughs> Hi guys. Lower the music stand against your face. <laughs> Racist. <laughs> against hobbits. <laughs> Hi guys. Um, my name's Nicole and tonight I'm going to talk to you about uh, obviously Space Happens because that's my baby project. Um, I'm an actress and I've always been an actress since I was about four years old. Uh, and I took my first acting class, and I absolutely fell in love. So it might come as a surprise that it was very difficult for me to think of something to do tonight. Uh, I thought, oh, my lips are sealed. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, I thought about spoilers. I thought about secrets. I thought about all these things. Uh, I even thought about that Olsen Twins movie that was featured on the <laughs> Facebook invite, because Olsen Twins, right? Um, and, uh, I even thought about stuff like, oh, kissing, because our lips are sealed with a kiss. Ugh, lame. Uh, and then I came back to the very first thing that I thought of, which was Gandalf saying, keep it secret, keep it safe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yay. Uh, and what do I try to keep secret? Uh, and the thing as a performer, as a writer, as a director, the thing I always try to keep secret are my doubts. Uh, not like the movie with Viola Davis and Meryl Streep, doubt. Um, but real, true, honest self-doubt. I try to project an image of confidence and not just confidence in myself, but confidence in everything that I do. I have to. I have to walk into that audition room, and I have to know that they need to cast me. Because if I don't know that, and I don't project that vibe, I will not get that job, and I will not eat for three months. Okay. Uh, so it's out of a very human need that I completely reject all of my doubts. 
And it also has led me to reject not just the doubts that come out of basic fear of survival, but other doubts that sometimes shut down everything. When I was about 14 years old, my evil stepfather, a la Cinderella, said, uh, you need to stop dreaming of Broadway. You need to stop dreaming of fame. You're never going to make it. That's unrealistic. It was mean. I told you. He's evil. <laughs> but it still stuck with me because how did he know? How did he know that my real dream was to be rich and famous? How did he know that what I wanted was to walk on the red carpet in the designer gown with everybody taking pictures of me and everybody knowing my name? How did he know? Because deep down, that's really what I wanted. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to have my name on the front of the tabloids, like Mel said. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted all of that. I didn't care if they were saying bad things about me or good things about me. I didn't care. I wanted that so bad. So I didn't talk about it. Because in my field, that's shallow. That's superficial. You're not allowed to say you want to be rich and famous. Money? Pfft, who cares? I don't care about money. I care about the craft of acting. <laughs> I don't care about fame. I care about feeling emotions while I'm on stage or on camera. I care about rawness. I care about vulnerability. I care about all these... Mm, bullshit. No. I care about being well-liked. And I care about making enough money so that I can eat dinner at night. Right? Not too shabby. Um, but yet I kept quiet about all of these things. Until the very first time that I went to San Diego Comic-Con, which, ooh, boy. Um, for the first time, I saw cosplayers in large groups. I saw everyone from Aang from Avatar The Last Airbender to Buffy. I saw actresses who specialized in science fiction and fantasy. The, my, my beloved movies, all of these things. Um, most importantly, I saw people who were creating the work that they wanted to see. Um, I particularly remember a very formative series of panels at this, my, my first convention ever. Um, it was the Cartoon Network block, sort of, uh, Panels for things like Robot Chicken and Venture Brothers bled into panels for sort of related things like Archer and finally for Riff Tracks. Uh, I sat in a room completely by myself and laughed so hard at a group of people who had created their own work that I had to take my inhaler to keep myself from having an <laughs> asthma attack at that fucking convention. Um, and it was the first time I had seen people doing what I wanted to do taking everything that was inside of them, saying, fuck doubts, fuck conventions, fuck all of these things. Instead, I am going to walk forward and I am going to present my ideas to people because I think they're cool. I don't have any doubts. I am going to say everything. And I was inspired, which started a year-long path to saying, 
No more am I going to close my mouth about these things that I've truly dreamed about. No more will my lips be sealed when it comes to wealth and fame. I want to be successful enough and I want to be good enough at what I do that people recognize that and people pay me well for it. Not just because, ooh, I'm a Kardashian and I put on a dress and so, okay, here's money. Um, but because they like the work that I produce. And such began a four-year-long journey to create this web series. Uh, I still didn't really talk about it. I dreamed. I sat back. I journaled. I wrote down. I did all of these things. Um, until one day, when I happened to tell the right series of people that I was excited about this stuff. When I opened my mouth and actually said, Oh, hey, I want Mel to be in the tabloids. I want Deborah to be able to stand up on this stage and tell about her darkest, long-held secret. I want Nathan to be able to get up on a stage in front of all of his peers and tell a very deep, beautiful, meaningful, also pretty hilarious story about his own experience with nerd communities and nerd cultures. I want to give this stuff to other people. I have so much of this stuff to give, and I am not going to close my mouth any longer. And so... The moral of the story, fuck your doubts, make out with your dreams. Yay! Thanks, Nicole. Uh, so again, Space Happens, it's a web series, it's a lady-centric sci-fi satire. So go check it out. If you have access to the internet, go see it. If you don't, come talk to me because you have some issues. <laughs> we, we can work on it. We can work on it together. Our final uh, speaker tonight is our, one of our wonderful favorite people in the whole city of Chicago. Um, and he's our very special guest tonight. He is from the Red Eye, Elliot Toronto! <laughs> I hate to do this for a podcast, but I brought pop props, which means I'm either Gallagher without a watermelon, <laughs> or carrot top, but funny. No. <laughs> no. I'm sorry to the one carrot top fan. It's okay. <laughs> um, so, Kevin had been asking me for a while to, to participate in this process in this show for some time because um, um, I'd heard, I've heard a lot of your stories. I love what the things that the Nerdalogs do and, and, and the storytelling. And, um, but I always told Kevin, I don't, um, I don't have a story to tell. I don't know if I can, you know, really contribute something because I'm always telling everybody else's stories. You know, when you're a, a, a geek journo, you're covering celebrities and writers and other folks. And, um, well, then this incident occurred a while back, and I had to, I guess, talk about it. And I have spoken about this in other cases, but only my closest friends know this. And um, when it finally came to the point where um, I said, okay, I'm going to tell the story. Um, I'll do it for Kevin, but, <laughs> but there is one part I'm going to need him to edit out. 
So he's agreed to do that. All right. Um, I will say this. I've been incredibly impressed with all of you here. Um, we've gone from the Manhattan Project to the death of Santa Claus to uh, uh, death threats and Italian ghost hitmen <laughs> to people who are going to be famous. And goddamn, that's great. Thank you. Good luck to you guys. Um, but I, to the Space Happens folks, um, please take my story kind of as a cautionary tale, okay? <laughs> because this is what happened to me when I had to interview uh, the captains of Star Trek. <laughs> and, um, yeah. They were there. Um, I was asked, if you ever asked me, Elliot, are you going to Wizard World this year? I'm going to tell you no. I'm not going to tell you why. <laughs> well, Wizard World might tell you why. Uh, but it all had to do with an encounter I had um, with um, Avery Brooks, who played, um, of course everyone knows, Benjamin Sisko in Deep Space Nine, um, William Shatner, William fucking Shatner, and, um, well, Scott Bakula. <laughs> The, the problem with Scott Bakula is they don't make the figure the same size as this. So and I'm a huge Scott Bakula fan, so his role will be played by Boba Fett, who, although albeit not of the same stature, makes it up in cool, just like Scott Bakula. So um, the folks at Wizard World had asked me to host the Star Trek Captain's Reunion panel, and this was one of the first times they were able to get all the captains of Star Trek together. And at this one, um, in Chicago, they were able to get um, Shatner for the first time in some time, Brooks and Bakula. Uh, Bakula, who everyone um, knew from Enterprise, thank you, uh, but at that point was producing, the, he was in the middle of doing that um, uh, Liberace docudrama, uh, Behind the Candelabra? Right. So he had a porn stash that I wasn't quite sure what it was for, and I wanted to ask him about it. But things got so awkward off the get-go with the captains, I was afraid to step outside of certain boundaries, and I'll explain why. Now, um, whenever you do a panel, if you're lucky, you get to spend a couple minutes with the panelists before you're going to go up on stage with them. And I managed to get a couple minutes with the three captains beforehand. And for those who have ever seen the documentary Cap Captains you know, by William Shatner, yeah, um, that, that's a pretty much fair representation of how these folks are. Um, Shatner is pretty self-involved with himself. Uh, Bakula is a really effusive, kind, giving, wants to talk about show business. Brooks is just odd. Because <laughs> I remember watching the movie and thinking, is this a bit? Is he really being this loopy for the documentary? Or is he like this in real life? 
So when I meet them backstage beforehand, I want to get a feel for them and see how they're going to be. And the first person who shows up is Avery Brooks. And if you've ever seen Avery Brooks in real life, he's a very tall, kind of an intimidating looking guy. And he's sitting down the whole time and he's speaking with Scott Bakula, who's standing there with his porn stash. And it really seems very manic, like someone gave him an espresso before he went on stage. And he's talking, 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 and he seems kind of nervous to me. And I'm trying to get in edgewise, and they're both acting like I'm not even there. And at one point I go, I, we're going to go on stage in a moment. i got to talk to these guys. I go in. I go, Mr. Brooks, Mr. Bakula, so I'm glad to meet you. Um, just want to know, is there any way you want me to introduce you, Mr. Brooks? Is there anything you wanted me to talk about? It's always good to talk to the stars about what they want to talk about on the panel. And Avery Brooks just looks at me and goes, just tell the truth, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what the fuck that means. <laughs> so, all right. So um, then Shatner shows up. And the moment Shatner shows up, everybody's like in deference to the man. And um, the things kind of change because the moment William Shatner shows up and I introduce myself as Elliot, the moderator, he starts picking on me. Oh, you're Elliot, the moderator, huh? Elliot, the moderator. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, this is good. They're feeling frisky. We're going to have a little fun today, right? Um, I've studied improv, so I know in improv, it's like the, the, the object of improv is set your partner up. Set your partner up. And generally, when I do panels, that's what I like to do with the celebs. It's not about me. People didn't come to see me. They came to see the celebs. And this was going to be like one of the biggest panels I'd ever done. So I was going to set up the Star Trek captains for Wizard World. I introduced the three. The first one, Scott Bakula, who told me he didn't care how long the panel, uh, how long his introduction was. So I just said, and he was Captain Archer in Enterprise, Scott Bakula. And he comes out, and the first thing he says is, that's the shortest introduction I've ever gotten. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that's what you asked for, right? After that, I say, I do a nice, long, elaborate introduction for Avery Brooks. He's a philosopher. He's a poet. He's a man of few words, a man of many words. He's the only captain to ever punch Q in the face. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Avery Brooks, he comes out, he's happy with that. And then, of course, I gave him my most eloquent introduction because I said, while Doctor Who fans have their doctor, you know, you always talk about who your favorite doctor was, this man was my captain. Woo! Right? <laughs> And uh, I introduced him as such, and he came out, and it all went pretty well in the beginning. Now, if you watch the entire panel on YouTube, which you can find, I've only been able to sit through it once because I wonder if the scene where everything went awry, if you can actually notice it when it occurs. Well, anyway, um, the... Um, Panel went off, the intros went well, and I decided to start giving them the introductory questions. And I'm asking um, Bakula, I go, you know, everyone's going to ask about Star Trek. So I say, uh, Scott, can you tell me, what's Sam Beckett up to these days? You know, Quantum Leap. And Scott gives this great, you know, uh, story about, oh, Sam Beckett's probably still out there doing his thing, leaping from life to life and making things better. Great. And then... Um, and next goes, I went in order down the table and I went to Shatner next. I think he was surprised by that. I think he's always accustomed to going last. 
because you're the big guy, so you should always go last. I wish I had done that. Uh, <laughs> but I go, I go, well, uh, Mr. Shatner, what are Denny and Alan up to these days? You know, Boston legal, right? <laughs> now, I thought that was a decent question, but Shatner looks at me like, what the fuck? You know? <laughs> Like, like, he didn't even register who the characters were at that point. And, but then he, like, recovers, and then he starts talking to, to Scott Bakula about wheat. And then he starts going on this whole riff on how Danny and Alan would have created some biogenetic, genetically uh, engineered wheat to save the masses and feed the masses and so on. And great, and everyone was happy, and clap, clap, clap. And I'm going, oh, good, okay, I'm setting them up. They're knocking it down. When I get to Avery Brooks, I'm, I have in my head, I'm like, man, my question's really lame right now. I go, I go, I was going to ask him, so what's the man called Hawk up to these days? <laughs> Remember that show? The spinoff of Spencer for Hire? The, like the one other show that Avery Brooks did? <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm going, wow, Shatner just gave this whole great bit on wheat. He's not going to be able to, you know, Brooks is not going to be able to do anything with that. So, and this is where I went wrong the first time. Um, my brain was saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. My instinct was I could literally see the little red flashing light saying the train is coming, the gates are coming down, don't do it, don't push. But in my own head, I'm back in improv class going, set them up, give them, what? Give them a gift, right? Yeah. You give your partner a gift. Yeah. So I thought, I'm going to give Avery Brooks a gift. <laughs> uh, and I asked him, I go, Miss, I go, Mr. Brooks, you know, in that, in that uh, documentary, Enterpr- uh, Captains, when William Shatner showed up at your house, now, this is where I went wrong again, first I ignored my instinct, and then I went even worse because... Um, I was going to ask Avery Brooks, did you, you know, have something before he showed up? Because he seemed a little, eh. Now I'm going, no, no, no. That's not going to go over well because uh, Avery Brooks is a man of dignity. He's a college professor. He's a, he's a teacher. He's a, I, would be, I would be insulting him in, in front of everyone. So I'm going, okay, I can't see that. But I'm already in mid-question. And I've, I've let the, the, the emergency break off. Might as well follow through. And I go, did you have anything to drink before he showed up? Because you seemed pretty happy at the time. So the reaction you guys are getting right now, <laughs> same reaction I got right then. And I'm there going, oh, boy, that was a mistake. Because there was like some scattered, you know, scattered laughs and everything. And a couple people laughed. But then, and then Brooks is like, and at that point on, through the panel, I had the distinct feeling that Avery Brooks was angry at me. <laughs> Especially when he um, took a pitcher of water, and after I took my friend Shannon's Captain Jean Luc Picard action figure, thank you. Or for him, right? Yeah. Uh, um, this actually, this this 
uh, particular figure has been up in space. It was part of a Kickstarter that sent it up into space on a weather balloon. So the, 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 the captain here has been on many adventures. <sighs> Shannon said, if you can get William Shatner to hold this figure, I will freak out. So I went, okay, again, took a chance, give a gift. And I got up and I took the figure off the, the, the dais and I actually walked up because Shatner asked, why is Jean-Luc here? Fine. Uh, I hand it to William Shatner. And again, William Shatner gives me the, what the fuck are you doing? You know, kind of look. As I hand him this action figure, and he goes, okay. And everyone's, the audience is laughing, and Shatner starts playing. He goes, Jean-Luc is running. <laughs> and Brooks' hands puts the pitcher of water right in front of Shatner. Jean-Luc is swimming! Jean-Luc is drowning! And I'm standing there at the dais, and everyone's like, everyone's laughing, and I'm like, I'm, and I go, oh boy, Shannon's not, I go, well, just so you know, Mr. Shatner, that figure wasn't mine, it belonged to the young lady there in the audience, and everyone goes, oh. <laughs> Scott Bakula even gets up, and he moves away from the other guy. <laughs> and throughout all that, as we're talking, and Shatner even starts talking to my friend Shannon in the audience, no one is making a move to rescue Jean-Luc. Until, stand-up guy that he is, Spacula goes, I can't stand this anymore, and he pulled Jean-Luc out of the water, Gave him CPR mouth-to-mouth, and yay, there we go. And everyone, you can see the whole thing on video. People thought it was hilarious. But the thing that got me, though, is that Shatner thought it was my figure. And if you're a total nerd, you know you don't put your action figures in water, right? And yet Shatner's like, fuck this kid. He pissed off my homie. His shit's going in the water. Well... So beyond that, I mean, after that point, though, I kept getting the sense that Brooks was angry at me. And I kept getting the sense that Shatner, as long as Brooks was angry at me, Shatner wasn't going to cut me any breaks. But for the rest of the panel, things went really well. Again, watch the whole thing on YouTube. Not a big deal. Well, after the whole thing is over, I have to know. I have to know, did I really piss off Avery Brooks? So I go backstage and I talk to him and I go, Mr. Brooks... I'm really sorry, but if I said anything during the panel that offended you, I just was, it wasn't meant to be, to offend you. I was just trying to have fun, you know, be funny. And he turns and he looks at me and he goes, the thing is, you don't know me. (laughs) When he says that, I feel about this big, all right? You know, I'm like, okay, that's how big I feel. And, um... That's the whole evening, that whole evening, and I, I'm talking to my friend Shannon about it. I'm like, wow, he was really pissed. And Shannon's like, oh, he's just being a big diva. It, wasn't, it was funny. You guys were funny. You were doing all these things. The Wizard World folks were telling me, it was funny. What was wrong? Fine. The next day, as I'm driving into, as I'm on my way to Rosemont to do another Two weeks were uh, two days worth of panel hosting. By the way, they told me I can't do this. This is Romulan ale, <laughs> and I was told I can't drink this stuff on stage, but I need it for this next part. 
Um, I get a phone call on my phone as I'm driving, and I see it's a New York number. And the number goes, I'm going, who's calling me from New York? So I pick it up. Uh, Mr. Serrato? Yes. Uh, we got a call from Mr. Avery Brooks said that you asked him a personal question during the Star Trek Captain's panel. Personal question? I didn't ask him a personal question. It was We made a joke. We were joking about the Captain's the captain's documentary and all that stuff. Well, just so you know, uh, we, you asked a personal question and he complained and some of the guests complained. So uh, we don't want you hosting any more of our panels. <laughs> Thank you very much. So I say, okay, I made a mistake. I'm paying for it. Again, I made it about me, not about the, about the guests. So I'm saying I'm just going to go into um, Wizard World. I still have my press credential. I'm going to go through. I'm going to take photos. I'm going to interview fans. I'm going to do that sort of thing. And then I'm just going to go on to the next thing. Well, fate would intervene there because I was so depressed from being, from knowing that I had pretty much embarrassed a man who I really admired and looked up to that I... I did something to offend them. I was so depressed over it, I couldn't even stay at the convention and take photos. So I'm saying, you know what? I got to get out of here. And as I'm walking back to my truck, my friend Molly approaches me and goes, Hi, Elliot. How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I just want to go back because this is all going on. And as I'm talking to my friend Molly, this other guy walks up to me and he goes, You're the guy from the Star Trek Captain's panel, right? I went, Yeah, yeah. It's kind of fun, but Brooks is kind of mad at me. You do realize that he got a DUI, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh shit, I shouldn't have him near this. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so that made it worse. I mean, it was like to him. I had taken a personal moment, a personal fault, a failure, and I was mocking him in front of all these people. But I had no idea. I had no idea that that happened. I mean, I thought, why do I need to Google Avery Brooks? Because I know Avery Brooks, Deep Space Nine. I even did a, I even did a, afterwards, I did a Google search to see what came up. Second page, that's when you get Avery Brooks the UI, right? <laughs> So, to the folks of Space Happens who want to be famous and who will one day be on a panel, um, look at the lowly moderator who wants to make it about you. But if you're going to do something that you don't want us to bring up later, okay, be mindful of the search results. Okay? You know, if it's going to be Space Happens goat fucking, you know. <laughs> Space. Yeah, it's Second Kickstarter. Right. <laughs> Understand, we don't always think of that when we're going through your Google search results. Okay, so I'm going to get to the part that I want uh, Kevin to edit out. So after, I'm going to count one, two, three. I did. 
<laughs> but our lips are sealed. Association with the Nerdalogs. To find out more about the Nerdalogs and their shows, visit www.nerdalogs.com or facebook.com/nerdalogs. Thanks for listening. <laughs>